This morning we're talking about the church both in and beyond culture. Everybody say, both in and beyond culture. Go ahead. What does that mean? Not yet. We'll get to it. All right, this is just a little bit of review. In this series, uh, we're exploring some of the New Testament passages and ideas that define and shape our understanding of church with an eye towards wrestling through some key questions. What is the church? Who makes up the church? Why does the church exist? What is the purpose of the church? And this, of course, is coming out of our year and a half of walking through the book of Acts, um, which has launched us into this series. Much of what we often think of as church is actually more cultural than biblical. For instance, no one in the New Testament period would have ever said, hey, I'm going to church on Wednesday night. And they would probably scratch their heads at us when we say it. That's not to say it's wrong, um, but it is to say we need to clarify. The church is not a place to go to. It's a people gathered together around the person and presence of Christ. While it is impossible for us to reproduce the culture and events that shaped the first century church, we can and should constantly return to the scriptures as the guiding and shaping force behind how we seek to build up the church today. Here are four ways that the word church, the English word church, is used in our popular culture. We use it to describe a building, as in, we need to paint the church. Or we use it to describe programs, as in, are you going to church tonight? Because there's a prayer meeting or something like that. We're actually talking about a program. We use it to describe a 501c3. She gave an incredible donation to the church. Thank you for that gift. She gave an incredible donation. Actually, what we're talking about is the 501c3, the nonprofit. We also use it to talk about our spiritual community, as in she is an integral part of our church community. Of those four ways that this word is used in English, the fourth is the only way that we find in the New Testament uh, this word being used. This is what uh, Millard Erickson says in his systematic theology. He says the word church and cognate terms in other languages are derived from the Greek word kuriakos. Everybody say kuriakos. Isn't that a fun word? Belonging, that means belonging to the Lord. I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say, you belong to the Lord. Go ahead. Say, you belong to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. Isn't that awesome? We belong to the Lord. All right, that word is to be understood in light of the New Testament Greek term, ekklesia. Everybody say, ekklesia. All right, this word is the word uh, that is translated into English as church when, like Paul says, to the church in Ephesus. It's going to be this word. And this word means an assembly of Christians gathered for worship uh, in, a, in a religious meeting, or a company of Christians, or those who are anywhere in a city, village, or culture uh, who constitute such a, a company and united into one body, or fourthly, the whole body of Christians scattered throughout the entire earth, and the assembly of the faithful Christians who have already died and gone before us. And so when uh, the New Testament uses uh, the word that's translated in English for church is not talking about a building, a program, or a 501c3. It is talking about the people who gather together and belong to the Lord. That. Then we're starting to actually talk about God's church. When we talk about it that way. This is how N.T. Wright uh, defines the church. He says the church is the single, multi-ethnic family promised by the creator God to Abraham. <laughs> So already when God said to Abraham, I will make of you 
I will bless you and make of your children many nations will come from you. He's talking already. There's the, the seed of the church. The promise of the church is already uh, planted within that promise to Abraham. Wright goes on to say, it was brought into being through Israel's Messiah, Jesus. So Jesus is the one who brings the church into being. It was energized by God's spirit. So a, a body without a spirit in it is just dead or it's a lifeless body. So the, the body of Christ is animated by the spirit of God. And it was called to bring the transformative news of God's rescuing justice to the whole creation. So the purpose of the church is to bring the transformative news, the gospel, the good news of God's rescuing justice to the whole creation. I think this is a really helpful, uh, dense uh, definition of what the church is. All right, so today specifically, we're looking at this idea of the church both in and beyond culture. What does that mean? All right, so an incredible design element of the church is its God-given ability to be simultaneously universal and contextualized. In other words, it exists in all places, in all times since Christ, uh, as we saw in the definition of ecclesia, um, and yet it also exists right here, right now, among us. It is both universal and local. There are foundational truths about the church that are true of her in any time, any place, any culture, and any context. And yet, at the same time, the Lord does not design every local church in the exact same way. Just as individuals within the same family share a common name, similar features, and DNA, they're also individually and uniquely their own persons. So I have four kids, four young kids, and I walked them up to the uh, bus stop. Um, and we have a nice long walk up to our bus stop, up the hill, if you know the neighborhood we're in. So it takes a while. So we, the other day, they usually all want to go. So we walk all, I walk all four of them up to the bus stop the other day. And there's another kid who's a neighbor kid, and his name is Peyton. And uh, Peyton is in third grade. He's uh, friends with my son, Coach, who's also in third grade. And we're standing there the other morning, and I have Asher, the baby, in my hand. Zach is holding my hand. And then Gracie and Coach are standing in front of me. So all four of them are right there. And Peyton looks at me, and he goes, they all look the exact same. <laughs> and, then she, and then he looks at Gracie and he, and, and he says about my daughter Gracie, and then he says, this is the third grade Peyton, he says, except for her, she looks like you. And I said, Peyton, I must be beautiful. And he didn't know what to say about that. <laughs> but this is, this is a great picture of, of the universal and local uh, nature, the, the universal and individual picture of the church. Here are four little kids that someone can look at them and say, they're the exact same. They look the same. Now let me tell you, raising these four kids, they are not the same. They are very different from one another. They share a name. They share DNA. They look a lot alike. We keep making the same baby over and over again. And yet, they're totally different. They're totally different. And the way that they desire love from me is different. Each one of them is different. Some of them want to wrestle. Some of them want to cuddle. Some of them want words. Some of them want gifts, right? This is a great picture, I think, of what the church is like. Now, for some of us who um, may have been influenced by a more fundamentalist understanding of the church, I, I want to push back lovingly and gently against something that has been taught on that side of the church at times, which is that 
the gospel should not be contextualized. The gospel should be the same. Um, now, the missionary kid, part of me, is going to come out here. The gospel, the good news of Christ, while holding the eternal truths that are unchanging, can meet every culture where it's at in a beautiful and special way. So um, for, when, when the big missions movement started in the late 19th, early, early 20th century, one of, one of the things, and we recognize this now as a mistake, one of the things that early missionaries did was they would go into these tribal settings and they would bring the gospel, praise God, but they would also bring culture and say, you not only need to believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you also have to dress like us and you have to eat like us and you have to do education like us and you have to sing the same songs as us, and your worship services should be in a Western-style built church with pews and hymnals, and you should uh, do this in English, and so on and so forth. And so essentially, it was a, a, a method of, and most of the time, completely innocently, but it was often a, a form of colonization that had really had nothing to do with the gospel. What missionaries have learned over the last 150 years is that when you take the gospel into a new place, you bring the eternal truth of God's word, but you let people sing like they sing, and you let people eat what they want to eat, <laughs> and, and you let people wear the clothes that they want to wear. And that is beautiful that the gospel meets people in that space. Because for those who teach uh, that the church shouldn't be contextualized, it should be that way, guess what? Every time they stand up in a suit and tie, they've contextualized. Every time they meet in a building with air conditioning, they've contextualized. Every time they preach in English, this is not originally in English. <laughs> they've contextualized. And so the church, in God's design, this is amazing. There are universal truths that, that follow and shape the church in every time, every place, every culture. And yet, how she shows up in any specific situation is going to be different. And it's going to look different and sound different. And that is so good. It is so good that the gospel in your life looks like the gospel in your personality, your gifting, your calling. And we know for Parker Ford Church, that's true too. We are a very different church than the church I pastored previously, Drexel Hill Church. We're a very different church. We're just 30 miles down the road. Very different. And that's good. And yet the gospel, the truth of who Jesus Christ is, remains the same in both places. You tracking with me? All right. We're going to keep moving here. So here are five key universal pictures of the church that the New Testament offers us. This is true in every culture, in every time, in every place. No matter where you visit a local church, whether in the southern Philippines, on the island of Mindanao, or you're in Africa, or you're in Pottstown area, Pennsylvania, the church is the body of Christ. We are the body. He is the head. The church is the bride of Christ. We are the bride. He is the groom. The church is the temple. He is the chief cornerstone. We are the living stones being fit together. We are a flock. He's the shepherd. We are the sheep. And no matter where you are, we are the family of God. We are his children. I was just talking to Sharon Whistler. I hope this is all right, Sharon, that I share this. I was just talking to Sharon the other day. They hosted um, an African pastor that their son is friends with in their house uh, for a couple days recently. 
and she said she was crying when he left. She never met the man before. He had broken English. They spent just two days with him, and yet she was crying when he left because she knew that here was a brother that was leaving. That's the family of God. There's only in the family of God, only in the church, can you experience that level of intimacy and, and familial relationship that immediately in Christ. It's such a beautiful picture. In every setting, the church exists to glorify Christ. In every setting, the church exists to proclaim the good news of the incarnation, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the reign of Christ. In all situations, the church exists to make disciples and to function as a fuller expression of family than birth families can experience in isolation. You will not experience the fullness of what it means to be a family if your picture of family is just your blood family. Because the that, that is important, and that is beautiful, and God works in that. But that is just a mirror of God's family. And so to experience the fullness of what family is meant to be, we have to do it together in the context of the church. In all situations, the church exists to model a countercultural expression of community and personal lifestyle marked by sacrificial love, service, mission, community, and worship. That... I. That is not anti, necessarily. There are things in culture that we are anti. <laughs> there, there are things in culture that we are against. But not everything. It's a countercultural. It's, it's an alternative culture that the church represents. We exist to create a counter-alternative culture that we can invite people in. One that is marked by community by service, by sacrificial love, by mission, and by worship. The church is also meant to be a source of common good in whichever community it exists. Look at your neighbor and say, we exist for the common good. I like group participation, thank you. Makes me feel less insecure up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says... Now, there are varieties of gifts, you know this passage, but the same spirit. So there's only one spirit in all the church. But there's many gifts. And there are varieties of service. There's lots of different ways to serve God. <laughs> and the way that Mike is going to serve God is going to be the, the, different than the way Tate does and different than the way Miriam does and certainly different than the way I do. There's many types of varieties of service, but it's the same Lord that we're serving. And there are a variety of activities. There's lots of stuff to do. There's lots of stuff to get involved with. And they vary. They're different. Not everyone is called to the same thing. So just, just because you're really passionate about something doesn't mean that everyone else needs to have the same level of passion about it. But just because you're not as passionate about something as someone else is doesn't mean that you can judge them for being head over heels for that thing. Right? There's varieties of gifts, varieties of services, varieties of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each, let's read this together, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The Spirit of God is poured out into us for the common good. Yes, that means uh, locally, the common good of our body. But that's not the boundaries of it. The Spirit of God is poured out for the common good of the place that God calls us to live. So the Spirit within you is for the common good of your neighbors, your next door neighbor. The spirit within you is for the common good of Pottstown. The spirit within you is for the common good of both in and out. 
the church. All right, but the church, uh, those are some of the universal principles of the church in every time, every place, every culture. Here are some of the things uh, that are local. What is true of the universal church is true of each local church. However, the specific DNA of each local church will be unique to that individual body. The uniqueness of a local church is shaped by both nature and nurture, as well as by context, culture, and the persons who make up that local gathering. PFC, Parker Ford Church, is who she is today. Uh, who, I'm sorry, PFC is who she is because she exists where she exists. So we are who we are because we're here. If we were not here, we would not be who we are. You'd be very different. Trust me, I've lived in other places. You would be very different if you grew up somewhere else. You'd think differently. You'd have different tastes. You'd have different things that you were interested in. PFC is who she is because she exists where she exists. She has been shaped by the individuals and leaders that have poured into her. Who was here last week when Dave shared the history of PFC? Were you here for that? If you, if you missed that, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. Dave Willauer shared 200 years of history of Parker Ford Church in 30 minutes. It was awesome. And just some of the things that stand out. We, we are who we are today because of people that lived 200 years ago. Now, that doesn't make us more special or more important in the kingdom than the church plant right down the road. Just because we have 200 years of it, that doesn't make us more valuable. But, but it should, those of us who are here, what it should tell us is that we need to know our story in order to understand who we are. You can't know who you are unless you know where you come from, right? All right, so PFC is who she is because she exists. Where she exists has been shaped by the individuals and leaders that have poured into her and because God has designed her in the specific way that he has ordained, which is why you can have two churches, that, two local churches that exist at the same time, a mile down the road from one another, and yet are very different, just like siblings. Same home, same name, same DNA, but can be very different, and God works uniquely in different bodies. I was thinking about this at... Um, at one of our, our close churches that we walk with, North Point, right down the road. Um, they, uh, they've been, over the years, really passionate, uh, and I know some of you are as well, uh, but as a church, they've been really passionate about fostering and adoption um, in their church. In fact, both of their uh, pastors, uh, Brandon and Carl, um, have each fostered and adopted many children. <laughs> many children. This is a, a unique ministry that the Lord has entrusted to that local body. Now, uh, that's an important ministry. I think all of us can look at that and say, yes, God wants his, his people to foster and adopt uh, people. But that's a unique passion that he's put on that body. There's other unique passions that he's put in us that just like the variety of gifts, the variety of activities. It's awesome. It's so cool that North Point can be North Point and Parker Ford can be Parker Ford. And abundant life can be abundant life. Drexel Hill can be Drexel Hill, and so on and so forth. This is Ephesians 3. This is, a, this is one of those passages. And in the scripture, and I'm going to move quick here to the end. Um, in scripture, we see Paul and the apostles talking in both universal terms and in local contextualized terms to the church. So this is one of those passages that is clearly for every time, every place, Every people. If you're a part of the, the church, if you are a part of this thing, <laughs> then this is for you. 
This is for us. So uh, Paul writes to the church in Ephesians, uh, in Ephesus, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family, every family, does that include you? Every family. <laughs> we actually have a name that's deeper than your family name. So I, I have a family name that's deeper than Martin. And it's the same one you have. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. The family name that you bear in the church is the name of Abba. <laughs> that is the family name that is your truest, deepest identity. You bear the name of Abba, Father. All of us have been named after him. All right, from whom every family in heaven and on earth has been named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. All right, I'm just going to pray this over us. <laughs> may you, Parker Ford Church, may you, friends and family visitors, May you have strength. You need strength. We need strength to comprehend. May you have strength to comprehend with all the saints, both past and present, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Can you be filled with all the fullness of God without exploding, <laughs> without pouring out, without spilling out? All the fullness of God. It's what he has for us. It's what he has for his body, his church, his family. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I don't know, Paul. I can think of some pretty grand things. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the what? Church. In the church. And in Christ Jesus, for what? A short period of time? No, through all generations. This is one of those uh, prayers in the scripture that's just universal. Every church, every time, every place, every culture, every local church. This is a word. <laughs> you don't like this is beyond context. This is this is uh, clearly speaking to that. There are places though where uh, in the scriptures we see the authors of scripture talking to a very specific situation, a very contextualized local situation. Philemon is a one chapter uh, book of the Bible, and if you know the story of Philemon, it's amazing. It's one of the most remarkable stories in all of scripture. Is the book of Philemon. So in Paul's day, in first century um, Roman world, slavery was uh, a common institution. And uh, there was nothing that Paul or the early Christians, the first Christians, could do uh, to tear down that, that institution. It was so ingrained in so many places, there's nothing they could immediately do to end it, right? They're not going to go stand out front of someone's house and pick it and have any change happen. So, so what begins to happen, what God begins to do, is he uses his word, and Paul, <laughs> while he doesn't directly tear down the institution of slavery, what he does do is he holds it up, for the church to see, he points at it, he talks about it, he puts a stick of dynamite under it, he lights the fuse, peace, 
and walks. I'm serious. I'm, that is, I'm dead sure that is what Paul did in this letter. He stuck a stick of theological dynamite under the institution of slavery, and he blew the thing to shreds. And this is a very local, a contextual situation that God then uses to speak and shape the universal church and how we experience them today. So what happened was Philemon was a pastor, and a church met in his house. Paul had uh, apparently led him to Christ, and there's a church in Philemon's house, probably a wealthy man. He owns some slaves. One of his slaves is Onesimus. That's a fun name. Everybody say Onesimus. Onesimus. Anybody know what Onesimus means? You guys can't answer. What's that? Yeah, useful. Onesimus means useful. So this, this slave runs away. He runs away from his slave owner, which is punishable uh, in a number of ways, including death. He runs away, and lo and behold, where would the Spirit of God have him run to? The place where Paul is in prison. And Paul makes a connection with Onesimus. Maybe he ran to Paul to try to find safety. Maybe he, who knows how that connection was made. But he finds Paul, and Paul leads him into a deeper understanding of God, so much so that Paul speaks of him as his spiritual son. This is my son now. And then Paul says to Onesimus, I'm going to write a letter to Philemon, and you are going to carry it back. Carry it back to the man who owns you. And you are going to show him the love of the gospel. And I am going to call this man to love you with the same gospel love. So I'm going to read the book of Philemon. You're going to read a whole book. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. All right, so he addresses a couple of people, but then he starts speaking um, in the singular, specifically to Philemon. So even though this is a letter meant to be read to the church, he is talking to Philemon. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. So in other words, Paul's saying, I could tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to ask you. In brotherly love, I'm going to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, and there's a word play here, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave. I'm going to sing that tonight. No longer as a slave, 
but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. This is what the gospel does. It takes slavery and turns it to family. A beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, send greetings to you, as so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So here, we see the Lord working in a very specific and contextualized situation. This is a house church that meets in this guy's house and has these specific problems, these specific issues that they have to work through. The gospel, the universal truth of the church remains the same in that house as it does here today, and yet the flavor of it can look so different. So what I wanted to bring us to, uh, we're not going to have time for this, but I wanted to bring us to uh, some group discussion. I was going to have you break up into groups uh, in the sanctuary and just ask but so you can ask this of yourselves as we're clothing, closing, and worship team, you can come up. But what major uh, image of the church used by the New Testament, body, bride, family, flock, temple, is the easiest picture for you to relate to and understand? So why? Why, why is it easy for you to picture yourself as part of a flock, but it might be hard for you to picture yourself as part of the temple? I think it's good and healthy to wrestle through that. It might identify something for you in the Lord. What's the most difficult? Why might you feel like it's a hard thing to be a part of the family? Perhaps you've had a really difficult experience with your own biological family. I'd encourage you to wrestle through that. The Lord may use that question. How is God currently shaping, forming, or changing your understanding of what the church is and what it means to be part of the church? All right, we're going to stop there. Let's um, pray and just ask God to be blessed. And then uh, you can stand and we're going to sing together about God building our lives. We're going to sing build my life, God. But uh, when we sing individually build my life, it's actually part of a greater cry of build your church, God. So, Father, we just bless your word. We thank you for the example uh, of Paul and Onesimus and Philemon. And I learned this recently that... um, In church tradition, (laughs) there's a letter written to a bishop named Onesimus in this region. And so the tradition is that Philemon received this message. And not only did he release Onesimus into brotherly freedom and love through the gospel, but Onesimus later in life became the bishop of the church of that region. That's amazing. That is what the gospel does. It takes us from slavery to kinship to family. Father, we thank you. We are so unworthy of that. You are so worthy of all the praise, and yet you lavish upon us your love and forgiveness. So as we close this service and singing, brothers and sisters, uh, experience the love and provision, the forgiveness of God, and the wonder and joy of being a part of the church, both universal and local. We pray this in your name, God. Amen. Let's sing together. Stand, sing.
holy God. You are holy, Jesus. You are righteous and just, beautiful and good. We started singing good. We want to keep singing good all day. So, uh, Park for Church, may you sing of the goodness of God. Even as his goodness and mercy chase after you. May you return, and every time it catches up with you, moment by moment, may you sing with all your heart of the goodness of God, even if that's quietly within your own spirit. May you know what it's like to be a full-fledged member of the church universal. (laughs) May you know what it's like to be a child of God, to bear the name Abba as your family. May you know what it's like to pour out that blessing because you've been filled with all the fullness of God. And so as you encounter people throughout your life, your neighbors, your friends, your family, may that goodness of God pour out and just pour out and just pour out as it pours into you. May it spill out and flow all over and get people all wet and messy with the love of Jesus. May you know what it's like to walk with him and be in his presence. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.